You've come to the right place. If you're a course creator looking to build more impact, income, and freedom, LMS Cast is the number one podcast for course creators just like you. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of the most powerful tool for building, selling, and protecting engaging online courses called Lifter LMS. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. I'm joined by a special guest, Andy Cobasso from Postaga.com. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, thanks for having me. Today, we're going to talk about virtual summits, which is awesome. And we're recording this at the very beginning of April during the whole COVID crisis that's going on. And we've seen a slew of conference cancellation and just the challenges of uh, people being more at home, but still, you know, wanting to learn, wanting to share their message and do that stuff. For those who don't know what a virtual summit is, can you give us just the lay of the land? Like, what is it? Sure. Um, basically, a virtual summit is a webinar on steroids. Um, virtual summits are, it can either be one day or multiple days or multiple weeks of different talks by speakers on a given topic. Um, they could be paid, they could be free, they could be uh, freemium, um, they could be live, they could be pre-recorded. There's a lot of different configurations that you can have of them, but the essence is a virtual summit is you have a topic or a general industry that you're trying to cover and a bunch of different speaker sessions on that given topic over a day or several or weeks. That's awesome. and. How long has the virtual summit really been around? I mean, I think I started seeing it two or three years ago, but like it's a relatively new thing, right? Yeah. Um, well, the first virtual summit that I put on was about three and a half years ago in uh, December 2016. And kind of the first time I saw a virtual summit was maybe a year or two before that. And that was my first real introduction of virtual summits. And I hadn't heard of it before then. Um, and that was, it's kind of silly saying this, it was a, a, a magician's virtual summit. A friend of mine is a practicing working magician and he had come across another professional magician's summit that he was putting on. And it was this two day event where a couple dozen magicians were going to be sharing their tips of their craft from uh, working restaurants to costumes to certain tricks and things like that to aspects of running their business and sharing that with an audience of other professional and aspiring magicians. And it was like over two days and they charged several hundred dollars for it, really premium content. And I was looking at it and I'm like, oh, wow, they've somehow managed to package a bunch of really good quality webinar content together and make an event out of it. And basically what would otherwise be an in-person conference where you'd have to spend days of traveling and spend money on hotel lodging and then the conference itself and that money that, and that you're foregoing by not go by that, by not working on your business and having to travel, uh, which is definitely can be a big uh, time investment there. Like that, some cost of not or opportunity cost of not being able to work on your business because you're traveling for the conference. The fact that you could do it all from your own home 
was really interesting to me. And kind of that was some of the first inspiration I had to see if I could put it together myself. That's awesome. And yeah, there's a, yeah, as a course creator, membership site, niche industry person, I see so many niches. I mean, we have people making magic courses, health courses, dating courses, like whatever, (laughs) like there's, there's so many different niches. The magician thing is not weird at all. I'm actually a practicing amateur magician myself. I do magic tricks for my kids and their friends and stuff. So uh, I totally get it. And that's what makes course creation and just being a niche expert in whatever cool is. Uh, I mean, we've got, we had just the niches people in are amazing yeah. and they can run an event. Like, Absolutely. Like if it's like general, like, oh, this is going to be a virtual summit about business or about health, that's like nothing. <laughs> You're right. What if it's about like, you know, some kind of like vegan green smoothie health summit? Mm-hmm. That's very specific. Sure. And if you have your audience and if you have your email list and if you know your industry, then you're going to get those types of people that are going to be interested in your summit. And it creates an experience that is, it's not just like a a one-off webinar, it's an interactive experience where you kind of have this virtual conference where you can get people from all over the world who maybe couldn't necessarily afford to travel to Vegas or California or wherever for an in-person conference, but from the comfort of their own homes, they can all see these talks and interact with the speakers and other attendees. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, I think it's really easy to miss how big the world is and how big the internet is. And if you see like, uh, let's say a a niche, a niche, niche event that is working as like an in-person event and there's not really mm-hmm. an online option. There's a huge opportunity there. And even if there's not, maybe your niche is so small, but if you can get the world at scale, I mean, there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's possibility there. I wanted to ask you a, like a yeah. business model question. Mm-hmm. It seems like as I watched the virtual summit industry over the past couple of years, it's common for people to do this like three, four, five day event. It's free mm-hmm. while it's live, but then when it's done, it gets turned into a like an information product. And you can use a tool mm-hmm. like Lifter LMS to like package up and you know turn it into a course or a membership after you record all those talks and everything. Um, but do you recommend that path of like free while it's live, sell the all access pass? Cause you know, everybody can't just drop everything most of the time and go to like five days of 12 hour content or whatever. Do you, but mm-hmm. you might, you mentioned the magician thing was charged. It was charged from the beginning, which is cool too. Like mm-hmm. how should people think through these business models? So, um, so the thing is you got to think about what you're looking to get out of it. Um, a lot of people do the virtual summits for free because they're looking to get a lot of leads and eventually like those, these marketing qualified leads, you can turn them into sales qualified leads by nurturing them with your email campaigns and your automation sequences. And then hopefully they'll buy whatever product or service you're looking to sell. And so and by your, ma- uh, your speakers, they're, um, like the, the thinking is the speakers are going to email their lists. Hey, mm-hmm. come to my free event. So it's like this email list goal, right? Absolutely. And so there, and there's, but there's also beyond that, like some promotion that you're going to do. The fact that this event is this one, potentially like one time thing, you have to be here at this day and time. 
um, it's ephemeral. And even if you are going to like, you are definitely going to record it and make it available later as potentially a premium uh, product, there's going to be that sense of urgency and uh, FOMO that people are going to get. They're like, oh, wow, here is the event. I have to be here for this. And it's going to really push them to sign up and show up to it. Um, I, I've kind of seen with like when, with doing webinars, and I don't know uh, if you have similar stats or experience, but when I put out, when I create a webinar, I get a good amount of signups and attendees. Uh, but then if I share with my audience, hey, I we did this webinar, you can uh, uh, basically give us your email and then you can access the recording. It just the, like the interest drops significantly there because there is no time parameter here. There is less urgency. It's like, okay, I'll get, I'll watch it when I get to it. But yeah. the summit time constraint of it definitely makes it more, makes it more appealing to uh, that audience. Do you recommend um, like pre-recording or delivering it live? <laughs> <laughs> um, it depends how big your team is um, and what you can pull off. So I was the only person really on my team tasked with putting together this virtual summit. And uh, over the three years that I did it, they were every year it was a two day event with between 16 to 20 speakers total. Um, yeah. There is no way I could have done that all live by myself. And uh, because if you've done webinars, you know that uh, technical things happen all the time. Um, issues with speakers, uh, audio, their slides, just things happen. And if you have eight speakers in a row on a day, uh, you really, really increase likelihood that something goes wrong and, and it's not great for your audience. Um, but if you are doing it live and you have an assistant or someone to help you out, kind of like a stage manager, um, to help prep the next speaker that can be more possible to do. Um, and also, you know, sometimes you have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I went, even when I was doing a, doing it and doing it all pre-recorded, which, uh, I was able to do because, um, I recorded all the webinars ahead of time, all, all the videos ahead of time for the sessions. I put them on the pages and once their session time was up, I made that page live. Um, but even so, I was still watching the, the event very closely so I could keep track of what the attendees were saying, the chats that were going on, engaging. And I was just running out quickly to go to the bathroom when I could. Um, and I made sure to bring lunch with me that day and just basically be glued to my computer as, I, as closely as possible. So with pre-recorded versus live, I think it really depends on uh, what kind of team you have behind you that can help you put it together. Um, if it's pre-recorded, you also have the benefit of having some lead time so you can spend a lot more time putting it together. Like when I did it pre-recorded, I really spent two months working on the different sessions and promotion and the content, like two months solid, uh, on these 20, on these, uh, 16 to 20 sessions. Um, it was a lot of, it was a big time investment and probably a bigger time investment because it was pre-recorded because I needed to record all the sessions and upload them. 
So that is a consideration, but as a one person operation, that was really, I think the only, only option for me. So for the, uh, for the delivery, when it's pre-recorded, would you spin up a webinar and then share your screen and essentially play the recorded session? So what I did was um, we recorded the speaker sessions using either uh, GoToWebinar or Zoom, um, and it was just me and the presenter. And I'd get their session recorded, and it was great. And then occasionally they'd be like, hey, can we edit this out? And I'm like, yeah, okay. And so I'll edit the session. I, I then also recorded, uh, separately recorded introductions, just me standing in front of a plain background, giving like a speaker introduction as you would. I, in hindsight, I wouldn't do that again. It was a big time investment. I don't think people cared all that much. I would have just done a regular webinar style introduction. Yeah. Then once I had the videos, I uploaded them to YouTube. I made them unlisted. And then uh, I created uh, basically private gated pages for each session. And when the event was live, quote unquote, uh, registrants would go to this, they would log in, they'd go to this page, and I would make the sessions live at the appropriate times of day. So they could self-press the play button. Yes, right? exactly. Um, I know there are, there are some options and things that you could do to configure it differently, but it was kind of, I was doing what I could with as little budget as I could. And I like so, that, so I, I, we spent very little, like we didn't really spend any on, much on technology because we used what we had. We used GoToWebinar or Zoom for recording the video. We used YouTube, which is free for yeah. hosting the video. We used our website platform, uh, which was uh, WordPress and Offsprout page builder for building the landing pages and, and hosting everything. And we used our email marketing software, um, which we were using HubSpot. So those were kind of all the basic tools that we were using. That's, that's really awesome. And what about, um, I could see with some summits, like if it is delivered live, one of the benefits is you might get the chance to have a Q and a session with some subject matter expert in your format. Did you have like comments turned on or was there any questions about like chat or, or co yeah, blog that's comments? A that's a really good question because uh, you're you're thinking like, all right, it's pre-recorded, so how am I going to have any interaction with the speaker and the attendees? And that's something that we were, were thinking about. Like, well, if it's pre-recorded, where's the Q and A going to come from, and how is this going to be an event rather than just someone watching a static video? So another scrappy thing we did, which was free, is we uh, we on each video's page we inserted a uh, a comment box. And we told all of our speakers ahead of time, okay, this is your session time on this day. Please be in front of your computer and available to answer any questions that'll come in through the chat box. And in the videos, we also, I also prompted and said, hey, if you have any questions at all during this talk, please ask it in the comment box below this video and the speaker will get to you. And that's how it worked. I love that idea. You know, I do a lot of webinars and having to, when you start stacking things, like I'm giving a presentation and I'm sharing my screen and yep. I'm taking questions, it's very hard to do. Yeah. But if to me, it just sounds so relaxing to have my presentation done and then just be available <laughs> and be like super useful in the comments. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's a really cool way to do it. You mentioned, was it, a, you said comments box. So is this like some kind of live chat thing? What did you use to power the comments? Do you remember? 
Yeah, so um, it's the uh, Discuss, D-I-S-Q-U-S, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it was just kind of like a regular chat uh, widget kind of thing or plugin um, that we used. Um, you, I think, I mean, we were, we were kind of going back and forth. Like there are a bunch of different options you could use. You could yeah. use an actual live chat software that would be a bit more, I mean, maybe a bit more engaging. I don't know. Um, but we, we used what we had. <laughs> and for the people that, um, and this was a paid summit, right? This was actually a, a free summit. And so, um, uh, I, I ran a digital marketing agency in the legal industry and we created these virtual summits geared towards lawyers primarily, as well as legal technology professionals. And so all the speakers that I had were other, uh, were, uh, people involved in, uh, marketing or technology or software. And, um, we kept the summit free. Uh, but after the summit was over, we said, uh, if you want to watch this material forever, have access to it forever, it was like $99. And then, uh, as a promo. And then after three days, we raised the price to like $400 or something like that, just to, uh, really get that urgency and get people to uh, watch the content, especially. Um, so like we had the event on a Thursday and a Friday and it was free. And then we sent out an email right after the last talk saying, if you missed any of the talks you have until we're going to keep it open until Sunday night uh, for free, after which time there'll be a paywall. And then, uh, we did a little promo where it's like, all right, it's $99 for lifetime access to this material, uh, for the next 72 hours, after which time the price goes up to like $400. And the reason that we did that was because we wanted really people to watch the content was the main thing. Like anything that we sold or from it, uh, didn't even come close to covering our advertising costs that we actually spent. Um, and we weren't trying to make money on it. I just wanted people to watch the content. Yeah, that's so important. Like if the goal is like building an audience and adding value to your community and <laughs> doing partnerships, like this is all stuff that you can prioritize over money that money will come out of later. And uh, Right. And it's game. And there are people who put on to make money. Like there are people who put on conferences specifically to make money because that's their business and their business model. And that's completely fine. Uh, but uh, our business was uh, web design and we wanted to build our brand in the community. We wanted to build relationships with other vendors so we could do potentially partnerships down the line and, you know, build our profile so people would have more recognition of us. And if they were going to ever need our services, come to us first because they trusted us. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the WordPress space mm-hmm. and, you know, we have these things called WordCamps yep. that happen all over the place. It's like 50 bucks for the weekend. Yeah. And there's all these speakers and all these volunteers and the speakers don't make any money. The volunteers make it happen. And the money is just the absolute minimum to like for yeah. it to pull off to pay for the venue or whatever. Yeah. The goal of a WordCamp event is not to be a cash cow. It's to connect yeah. people in the community and help people discover the software and how people use it and connect with other people. And somebody was just uh, messaging me in Slack today about running a virtual event 
um, a virtual summit for a WordCamp using Zoom. I happened to be like a Zoom power user person and they had all these really niche questions about different tracks and what should our sponsors do, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. I mean, the event space is huge. Unfortunately, that industry is really having a hard time right now, but events are massive. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I, I've been to WordCamps. I, I love WordCamps just because, and it's not even the sessions. It's just, sometimes it's just having lunch next to people that you maybe talk with online or people that you've never met before and just sharing stories and just sharing knowledge. And that's great. And that's, uh, it's maybe a, a bit harder to replicate online, but we're doing what we can. And if you can get everybody in the same chat box or using the same hashtags to keep a conversation on social media. Um, that's not bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I got a question for you around timing. Mm -hmm. The first thing I want to ask you about is you mentioned you, it took, you took a bunch of time preparing and then there was the actual event. Yeah. Roughly. What was the amount of time of prep to the event? Was it like twice as much work to prepare Twice as much time to prepare, five times as much, 10 times as much, what? Like, like absolutely 10 times as much. Yeah. Um, okay. I, like, I, uh, I spent maybe, like, I, I say that I spent two to three months on it. Um, I spent, like, the first one I did, it was in December, and I started working on it in late September. I got the speakers together. I started working on the promotional materials, um, scheduling. The hardest part for doing it pre-recorded was working with the 18 to 20 different speakers to schedule the recordings, which are each an hour long. And so each of those sessions, you have to, we have to find the time for, and then record them. And each of them is an hour. And then I review them and edit them to make sure uh, that they're all good. And then uploading them to the platform and all of that. Um, the la- I think the month before, nearly all of my time was spent working on this summit. Um, and that's kind of the challenge of doing it live. Doing it pre-recorded, rather, is there is a good amount of work to it. Um, but there, there, was, there wasn't real, really any other way that we were even considering, like doing it live. Um, if we were to do it live, you have basically you're doing your promotion ahead of time um, and just coaching the speakers sending them out a sheet saying, here are kind of the do's and don'ts. Don't overly sell your product. We have to have the content be informative um, and relevant to the audience, stuff like that. And just hope that during their live session, it, it goes well. Yeah, that's, that's words of wisdom. It's not a tactic or a, a, a thing to take lightly. It is a ton of work. And the other timing question I had for you was... Yeah. Um, Let's say you run it and it goes well and you decide to, I think I might do this on the regular. Mm -hmm. What's like a realistic, if you're going to do it, should it be like an annual event that you do once a year because it's so time intensive or what's the most you could get away with or what? I guess it depends on your team and your environment and what you have the resources for. Uh, I did it once a year and I don't, I don't think I would have had the bandwidth for doing it more than that. Um, cause I also had a, a marketing agency to run. Um, yeah. and when you're working on the summit and I, and it was very time intensive, there were other marketing initiatives that I wanted to do that I wasn't able to work on. So, um, it's kind of just about prioritizing 
like there are a million things you probably want to do to market your business and you have to choose what's going to be the best use of that time. That's awesome. And, um, what's a piece of advice you have since we're course creators and experts mm-hmm. and people building membership sites, yeah. we have this little problem called a lack of confidence and imposter syndrome. And, uh, I mean, it's, Mm-hmm. So how do we, like, let's say we want to reach out to somebody who has a big email list. They're more famous than mm-hmm. us. Who am I to put together a virtual summit? So how do we kind of get through the, the psychological stuff there? And then when we do reach out, let's say to an A-lister expert mm-hmm. in the field, how do we present the opportunity in a, in a smooth, solid way? Um, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I, the what what I did before the summit that really helped is I worked on building my relationships with people that I would have wanted to speak. Um, like before I put on the summit, I wasn't like we weren't particularly well known in in the space. We were just, we were one of several marketing agencies. Um, I published I regularly published blog content, um, shared it. Um, I would reference other people and their work in my content and share it with them and to kind of get on their radar. I did what I could to get on their radar as best I could. And if there were people that I, and so if there are people that I didn't know, but wanted to know, um, I kind of, when I reached out to them, I had leveraged kind of the cache that I had, I had from having other people. So first I reached out to the people that I had built relationships with and that I knew and kind of, and they were all very excited to participate in this because uh, it was, it was new and it was, it's an e- it's an easy thing for them to do. They, we spend an hour recording a webinar and they, and it'll then be published and shared with uh, potentially thousands of people. And I, I didn't have anyone that anyone really that I was reaching out to saying no, um, which is maybe, maybe it'll be comforting for your audiences. People generally want to participate in this sort of thing. Um, if you invite people to speak, unless they're like a, a big hotshot paid speaker, someone who's commanding big speaking fees, um, because of the relative ease of doing this, they're going to be more like want to participate. Like I had, uh, one person I reached out to who is a big, uh, uh, runs a, ran a big blog in the space and often got paid for all of his speaking engagements. When I reached out to him, he already knew me a little bit. Um, I had guest posted on his blog in the past. Um, he said to me, you know, normally I charge for any speaking engagement that I do, but this is really easy for me. I can basically recycle some talk that I've done before and they'll help me promote my brand as well. Yeah, what do I have to lose? And so I got once I got him on board, uh, I was able to reach out to other people and kind of use that and say, hey, I have this person, this person, and this person on board. Do you want to be, can, would you be interested in being involved? Um, here are some ideas that I have for your topic, given what I know about you. And so I went to them prepared and that I think made all the difference. It's like, oh wow, okay, you know what you're doing. Um, doing all the prep work and laying all the groundwork for that really helped. And even if these people didn't know who I was and I, I'm a nobody in the space, um, me having worked on building those relationships really helped. 
Yeah, just to add what Andy's saying here is I'm not a natural marketing and sales person, but I've been just practicing for a long time <laughs> and I am okay with rejection. So to give you an example, I have reached out to Tony Robbins <laughs> to try to do something and he his PR or whoever person politely rejected me. So even go like go outside of your comfort zone and don't be scared to aim too high. The worst they can say is it's not a no to what, what I hear. I hear it's just not right now. <laughs> so uh, absolutely. And I, and I, there were a couple people who just, who gave me no's. They're like, you know what? Nah, this isn't good for my schedule or, or someone was like, or some, some people were like, all right, well I charge this. Uh, and I'm like, I am sorry. I, I can't afford that. I'm putting this together on a shoestring budget as, and this is what, this is just what I got. And if it's not a good fit, then that's fine. And I had plenty of, I had, I've, put it on over three years and had tons of great speakers. Um, and some of them, I like a lot of them I actually invited back because they did so well and everyone seemed to like it so much and it was great. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And just as an example, if you're watching this or listening to this podcast, if, uh, if you were hosting a virtual summit and you needed speakers on topics of course creation or building membership sites, um, topics on the entrepreneur journey, um, topics on uh like creating digital products and stuff like that and you asked me to come on your summit i would probably say yes i mean and even if you're not super famous or have some giant email list if you give me the opportunity to share and add value and yes at the very end i might mention the tool lifter lms I, it's it would actually be really really hard for me to say no to that regardless of how big your email list is. So just putting that out. There. <laughs> see that? See that? If you're looking to put on a virtual summit, you already have someone who's interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so let's talk about Postaga. This is another project you have. And how? what is it? And then how can we tie it into running virtual summits? Sure. So uh, one of the big challenges of uh, summits are getting people to register and attend and to also maybe find some speakers. And so what I was doing for a lot of it is I used what email list I had. I also asked that speakers, um, share with their audiences. Uh, but promotion is a big part of it because you want as many people to register and attend and get on your email list and be aware of it and everything like that. Um, otherwise, you know, pre presenting a summit that you spend so many hours on to, uh, a small audience is maybe not worth like really discouraging because of all the time and effort you put into it. So Postaga is a, a free all-in-one link building outreach tool. Um, mainly we uh, use it, we kind of uh, coming from the digital marketing space. Uh, whenever we publish blogs or content, we're trying to promote that content to build links and get more traffic to our pages. So we built this free tool that, will find opportunities for you for outreach, for, uh, for finding websites that are relevant to your content or your website or your product or your app, um, find contact details for those people, and then build personalized yet automated email sequences so you can reach out to them and follow up with them to help you build relationships, uh, get backlinks, and build traffic. And you can also use Postaga for building relationships with potential speakers, as well as finding other websites that can help you promote your uh, virtual summit. That is awesome. That is at postaga.com, P-O-S-T-A-G-A. I want to ask you about affiliate, mar affiliate relationships for virtual summits. 
should we like like let's say we're using wordpress for our virtual summit mm-hmm. and if you happen to be selling it with lifter lms or woocommerce or something um affiliate wp is a popular plugin that integrates with those tools even if somebody's not on your website yet you can set them up and just give them an affiliate link so they don't have to even figure that out or give them a coupon code that's going to keep track of the sales they bring or whatever mm-hmm. um or even if traffic comes from a certain website, these are some of the beauties of affiliate WP. You could do that. Should we consider like both using our speakers and seeing if they'd be interested in earning some money, and also outside, um, you know, affiliate marketers in whatever the topic is, let them know that there's an opportunity here. Or should we steer clear of? A, are we mixing too much here? Um, that's a good question. Um, my, I was kind of uh, a bit more with, with my summits that I was putting on. Uh, I like the speakers were asking, like the speakers were asking at first, well, is this paid? Are you making money off of this? And I said, and I was honest with them saying, well, we make it for free, but we will have a paywall at the end uh, just to basically incentivize people to actually watch the content. Um, but we're not making money on this. We're going to spend much more on advertising on Facebook ads and Google ads than we are going to ever make uh, in, in return. Um, so we, and we, we gave each speaker their own uh, uh, referral link to share and get people to register with their own landing pages. Each speaker had their own personalized landing page for them. And so I could see, what attendees uh, speakers were getting registered. Um, but I, I was a bit, just based on my scenario, I was a bit hesitant about trying to get speakers to get more involved to sell the event for me. Cause I, uh, just cause of the nature of it, uh, the speakers were kind of like, I, I, I got the impression that they were gonna think, um, if you're asking me to promote this, to get people to pay you, then then we're going to have maybe a different conversation this is kind of framing it differently but that was just me um i definitely can see the value obviously of if your speaker has a big audience and they are financially motivated to help make this happen that an affiliate link uh with referral payments could work i got a hard question for you mm-hmm. <laughs> so the hard the hard question is i have heard people who have run virtual summits um I don't know if complain's the right word or they, let's just say they were not, um, it didn't quite work out the way they thought in that the experts, the, the speakers did not email their list. And what perhaps, I mean, we're just hypothesizing here. And of course you can't force somebody to do something or it's kind of weird to be like, you can only speak if you email your list about this or whatever. But what might somebody be doing wrong if they end up in a situation where 90% of the speakers did not notify their tribes about the event? What might be off there? Um, so it, and I, and I definitely had that problem to some extent as well. Um, um, some speakers, you know, depending on how they perceive your event, how they perceive everything, if they're thinking like, all right, I'm doing this person a huge favor. Uh, I'm going to show up, do my talk and that'll be it. And that's the involvement I want to have. Um, you kind of have to be aware of that to some degree, but with, with some speakers, um, 
you can kind of say like, this is what makes this event work for everybody. People want to speak at this uh, because we are all working together to get as many people as possible. If you, if you don't, don't share this with your network and if the other speakers don't share this with their network then we're only going to have a handful of people and you know, is that going to be worth everyone's time? Probably not. So this only works if we all work together on this and share this with our audiences. And, um, one thing that absolutely helps and is a must is you need to make it as easy as possible for your speakers to share the event. And so I create media kits for all of my speakers individualized. So I'll create uh, social media cards with the speaker's faces on them, their talk title and registration information. I create sample tweet template tweets and Facebook posts and emails. Um, so the speakers can just copy and paste this stuff in you as the organizer need to do the work on this because uh, your speakers aren't going to spend that mental energy to put this stuff together on their own. So if you can have the material ready for them just to drop in and share with their audiences in a second, uh, making it as easy as possible for them is definitely a must. And if you just hope that your speaker and say to your speaker, hey, can you please share this event? Well, that's kind of vague. It's like, well, how do I do that? Am I gonna have to write a big email about, and I have to do more research and see who's gonna be speaking at this? Um, no, you, you you as the organizer need to provide them with as much content as you possibly can. There's a lot of wisdom in that, like custom landing, pa landing pages, graphics for social media. And also you don't have to do it all yourself. You can use Canva if you want to do it yourself. Yeah. You can use Design Pickle. Like if I have a high volume graphic design project mm -hmm. that involves like switching out people and changing names, I mean, I, I'm outsourcing that to Design Pickle once I got yeah. it. So it doesn't have to eat your lunch for time. And when you're proactively giving them what they need and making it easy. That's, there's mm. just so much wisdom in that. I appreciate, yeah, appreciate that. Um, and one just last technical question. Do you give people lifetime access if they buy the all access pass? Is that just like, okay, here's the information product. It's yours forever. If you buy. Yes. Um, I, I, yeah, that's the only way that I did it. I'm sure there are other ways that you could, you can give them access for a year until the next event. Um, but I think lifetime access was just seemed to make the most sense to us. That is awesome. Well, Andy, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, your friends and collaborator is his name is Sam Brody. Um, yeah. We did a podcast episode with him, episode 222. Uh, we talked about his journey as a course creator and the off sprout page builder, which you guys have, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so go check that out. Uh, go check out postdaga.com if you're looking for a better way to build backlinks. Any final words for the people and other ways they can connect with you? Um, I'm everywhere on social media. I have a relatively uncommon name. So if uh, you look for Andy or Andrew Cabasso, that's probably me. Um, Andy Cabasso on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Andrew Cabasso, I think because that's more formal. Um, <laughs> um, Instagram, Facebook, what have you. I'm also in a lot of uh, Slack and Facebook groups. You could, you could find me on the internet. If you are looking to find me on the internet, you can. Um, you could also check out my websites, offsprout.com and postdaga.com. Check out postdaga.com. It's completely free. 
helping you to easily build links, traffic, relationships, and get your content shared. So uh, yeah, and if you have any follow-up questions uh, or specific questions, anything about hosting a summit, I'm happy to share all that. I probably should put together an accompanying lengthy guide on putting together virtual summits. Uh, I'll look into that as well on either the Postaga or Offsprout blogs. So yeah, check that out too. That's awesome. Well, we do have a lot of podcast episodes recorded. So you've got about like, I don't know, uh, eight weeks to work on getting that together before this episode goes live. So all right. Maybe, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for adding yeah. so much value to the Lifter LMS community. Yeah. Happy to. Thanks, Chris. This is a lot of fun. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.